It's time to go man to man with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Welcome back into the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, and uh, I'm in Playa del Rey, California at St. Bernard High School here with uh, a close buddy of mine and uh, NBA skills trainer, uh, Drew Hanlon. Drew, welcome uh, back to the podcast. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, man, I, I, I wanted to bring you back on, and, and you've been on a couple times last year to talk about Jason Tatum, this year to talk about Muhammad Bamba, but at this time I want to talk a little bit more about your story and, and kind of how you got uh, into this business, and uh, I guess maybe to start, w- walk me through your day-to-day. You know, right now uh, we're, we're in July, and you're training guys throughout to get, re- get them ready for, for, uh, for the NBA season. What's your day-to-day look like? So right now is my busy time. So, you know, when the players have their off season, that's really my on season. So I usually start the day, have a 6 a.m. workout. Uh, That's about an hour away from my house. So I have to wake up at 5 a.m., get to the gym at 6 a.m., work out there, drive back up here, have workouts from 8.30 till about 4 p.m., and then I get a two-hour break, so my first meal is usually at 4 p.m. unless I uh, send one of the interns out to grab me something. And then I'll normally come back to the gym from 6 to 11 or 12 at night and then start the whole process over. Um, usually I get a little bit of a break on like Wednesdays. Uh, we've been doing um, 515 pickup games, so all my clients will compete against each other, which is really good for them to kind of implement all the stuff that we're working on. Uh, but it also gives me a chance to breathe and have right. like a day in the middle of the week where I can kind of uh, have a lighter load. Uh, but even then, guys will want to come back in and get shots in at night. But um, yeah, it's, it's a 12, 14, 16-hour day, depending on who all is in town. But it's uh, the only way to get the results that we're after. For sure. And, and you have such a unique background. And obviously, you played uh, high school basketball. You played college basketball at, at Belmont. But how, you were training these guys when you were still in high school. I, I guess, how, how did you get into it, and how did, how did it start? You know, there's kind of two stories that kind of got my career rolling. The first one was how I actually started becoming a basketball trainer. And, and that was... Uh, there was a three-court facility. There were two games going on for a tournament, and I was on the third court just working really hard. Um, I used to shoot a 1,000 shots a day before school, so I was known as one of the hardest-working players in the area. And so one of the parents from court two came over and said, you know, if my kid worked half as hard as you, they'd have a chance to be a special player. And so, um, you know, I, I was like, okay, you know, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, I didn't even think anything of it. He said, I'll pay you 20 bucks to work out my kid. So here I am, I'm a high school 16 year old and somebody offers me 20 bucks for an hour. I'm like, 20 bucks an hour is, it's like you're a millionaire. That's you know? a lot and of money so, in high school. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, it, was, it was a chance for me to one, be around the game of basketball, two, help somebody, and three, make money. I was like, this is colliding, like this is like the perfect storm. And so uh, I started training, Matt Baker was the kid's name, um, and he started seeing results. And I started training a, uh, a sixth grade team, actually his team. I started training them because, and then coaching them because all the other kids wanted to join. Right. And um, so that's kind of how my training career started. Very shortly after that, I, I started kind of making it a business. And uh, I wrote a drill book when I was 17. So here I am. I published a drill book around town because then a lot of people were asking, what drills are you using with these kids to get the results? And then uh, Brad Beal started working out with me. Brad averaged like eight points a game as a freshman in high school, started working out with me. Obviously, he grew like two or three inches that summer. He was working hard in the weight room with his brothers, and he was already a good basketball player, but he saw a big growth and and jumped up to 24 points a game, uh, won a state championship his sophomore year, and so everyone was like, what would you do differently? He gave me a lot more credit than I probably deserved, but uh, we were putting in three, four hours of work each day, and so that's when my career kind of really took off was uh, once I got Brad 
uh, to roll, our careers took off together. He went from unranked to ranked, I think, eighth in the country the first time that, um, you know, you and, yeah. and Dave Tellup kind of put him on the ranking. He was ranked eighth. And uh, for me, I went from a guy that was working on a lot of local sixth graders to, wow, he's one of the guys that can help these elite right. grassroots players. And um, from there, I got David Lee. I was working out David Lee, who was an NBA All-Star, while now was averaging like five points a game at Belmont. Everyone thought it was crazy that, you know, me, who was not as good of a player as David, was helping him out. But he really helped me kind of establish myself as an NBA trainer because he went on for, you know, the first four seasons we worked together, was averaging over 20 and 10 a game. Right. And uh, then just scattered through the Nike Skills Academies, the Reebok Breakout Camp. I would just pick up NBA player after NBA player, word of mouth spread, and the rest of history. Well, with David, didn't you reach out to him and kind of send him clips? Yeah, so I kind of put together a DVD of like why David Lee sucks. It was kind of like the, <laughs> the joke that I did, and it was kind of an ego play because at the time I really wanted to work him out because I thought that I could help him out, and he wouldn't give me a chance because I was in college. Uh, the truth was I actually was at the Kevin Durant Skills Academy, and I uh, just started rebounding for KD. I wasn't working him out or anything. Right. He didn't even know who I was at the time. And um, one of the Nike reps had took a picture of me rebounding for KD. It was like, yo, this guy, you know, he's in St. Louis, you should try him out. And that's the reason David Lee gave me a chance. He thought I was working out Kevin Durant. And the truth was, <laughs> I mean, I literally was just goofing off with KD, showed him a few moves, but it wasn't like I was training him at all. Right. Uh, but that opened the door up because again, perception is everything. And then once I got in the gym with David, I proved that I could provide value. He saw results and other people craved those same results. And uh, the rest was history. How did you kind of learn this craft? Did you have a mentor? I know you study a ton of tape, but, but how did you kind of develop uh, this skill set to, to, to be able to get on the court and do this stuff? Yeah, my biggest claim to fame, the last eight seasons, I've watched every single game and broken up every uh, made field goal into over 1,800 categories. Um, so I can literally say that I've seen every way that you can possibly score or <laughs> stop you know, scoring. And right. so uh, one is just being a film geek. Two is I try to surround myself around a lot of great basketball minds and just pick their brains. I mean, I'm uh, the biggest thief around town as far as just kind of stealing teaching points. Um, I also try to go ask youth coaches how they help their players. Because I think that the best teachers have the ability to simplify things. And so um, while you know it's easy to kind of teach an NBA All-Star how to add stuff to their game, I really need to break down the, to the, like, what I call micro skills, like the skills within the skills. And so what I do a lot of times is I'm asking teachers how they break down different things for, for students that maybe struggle or have learning disabilities. Right. Um, constantly uh, evaluating kind of uh, different ways to kind of help with mental training because I know that's so important to build confidence. And then finally, just I read more about like more self-help books because that's another big aspect of it is the, the person, you know, how, how to help the person kind of become a better player. And so um, there's a not a science, but I've really realized that if you really care about the player, uh, you study your craft and really do your homework. At the end of the day, if you put in the work, you're going to get results. Well, let's rewind to the 18-year-old Drew. Did you see this kind of taking off like this this fast? I mean, you're working out with Joel Embiid and Markel Fultz and uh, Jason Tatum, a guy you've had since middle school, I think, uh, top five pick in the NBA draft, had um, a ridiculous rookie yeah. season. Did you see this coming? I did. I mean, a lot of people think I was crazy, but when I was younger, I used to be like, you know, it was it was almost it started out as a big kind of arrogant kind of ego. And and really then as it started to happen, then I started humbling myself because then it became, okay, listen, you don't have to brag about yourself anymore. Just get the results and everybody else will brag for you. And so, um, you know, if you ask my college teammates, 
uh, how I was as a freshman in college, I came in there and they were like, why are you even training guys? Like, that's not like a real career path kind of, you know what I mean? Or do you want to be a coach one day? Cause that's like a real career path. And I was like, just wait, I'm going to be the best trainer in the world. And they're like, all right, like you're 5'11", you're a short, you know, point guard, you're playing at Belmont, you're not playing at Duke or anything like that. Um, but I think that the same reason why great players are great is because they believe in themselves and they put in the work. And I really believed in myself and I put in the work and I really cared about each individual that I trained, whether they were a Jason Tatum or they were the first sixth grader that I ever had. Uh, it doesn't matter to this day who I'm on the court with. I really care about getting them better. And I think that's why uh, word of mouth has spread and, and I've been able to get some great results with some players. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you is how do you, and I think I may know how you're going to answer this, but how do you define success from the guys that you're working out with, the guys in your gym? I have two things that I, that I try to help each one of the players. I try to maximize their career earnings on the court, and I try to maximize their happiness off the court. I think if I do one of two, then I've failed them. If I do two of two, then I've done, done them really well. And so uh, when I started, all I cared about was getting them better at basketball. Then I realized, okay, I need to get them better at the things that'll help them ultimately become the best player to make the most money, because right. it is a business at the end of the day. And then the second thing, which goes way beyond basketball, is the caring about them as people. And so then I was like, you know what? If they're really good at basketball, and there's a lot of players in the NBA that now the whole depression thing is coming out, but I've dealt with this. Like, There's a lot of people that I've worked with that have said, Drew, listen, you've helped me a lot on the court, but the thing that I thank you most for is you've helped me find happiness and find myself off the court. And so um, I think it goes hands in hand. When you really care about the person more than the player, then you, one, you get better results for the player, but then two, there's a, a brotherhood and kind of a, a connection that lasts way beyond their playing career, which is, which is truly special. It, it's funny you mention that because one thing I know about you is you have really good relationships with all of your clients, the guys that you work out. How do you balance being really hard and tough on them uh, on the court uh, with having that type of connection off the court? It's hard. I mean, obviously there's a fine line and I think it's just knowing how to speak to them and also you guys both respecting each other. So for guys like Jason, I've started working with him when he was 13. Like I remember when he got his permit and started learning how to drive. So we've been through everything together. You've been trash for talking him, to him yeah, ever since. Yeah, you know, I've been trash talking <laughs> him since he was 13. It's, it's more of a, you know, there's times where I'll pull him aside and, and just say, hey, listen, I need more out of you. And we respect each other enough to do that. And I pat him on the butt and we're good. Where there's other guys that maybe have come to me with more of an ego, they maybe I haven't got that buy-in yet. And so then I have to maybe throw a choice word here or there to them or, or maybe publicly embarrass them. Um, or sometimes I even use the media to call guys out to get the result. For me, one of the things that some people that don't know me and don't really get to know the real me, they think, oh, wow, you know, he, he's all about himself. But the truth is, a lot of times I'm very manipulative and I, I give out information just to get the result that we're after. You know, there's um, Kelly Oubre was giving me trouble the other day because uh, I had said something in the media that I knew would kind of get him <laughs> to kind of work a little bit in a different way. And he was like, yeah, bro, I saw what you said. I didn't mention his name in the media. I say, he's like, I saw what you said. Don't worry. He's like, I can't wait until Monday. And so, um, you know, I, I'll do anything to get the result. I don't care if they hate me and um, at the time, but I always say, hate me now, thank me later. And the truth is, when you have that kind of relationship where you both care about the results, you both are putting in as much work as you possibly can, and you're working together, it's not my training program, because ultimately the player is the one that's getting the results, right. and the player is the one that is gonna be the one responsible if they succeed or not succeed. 
uh, when we realize that, then at the end of the day, it works. Well, what's the end goal with all this for you, or, or are you kind of in the midst of it and living it? Yeah, there's like not another step that you can do. Obviously, you can make more money, you can have more clients. Um, but my thing is just helping the guys that have believed in me from the jump. You know what I mean? Like Brad Beal was a guy that gave me a chance. So seeing him become an all-star, that was awesome for me. It's like now how can we help him, uh, you know, win some more playoff series? And how can I help him uh, ultimately become one of the better two guards that have ever played the game. For Jason Tatum, same thing. He hasn't been an all-star yet. How can I make him, you know, help him make himself an all-star? Joel Embiid wants to be an MVP and mentioned among the all-time greats. You start going down the line, each guy has their own goal. It's how can I not only get them to their goal, but surpass it while finding that happiness right. balance that we talked about, not losing themselves in the process of it. Well, let's talk about some of the guys that, that you spend so much time with in, in the gym. Uh, and maybe, is there a guy that you think is being a little undervalued? Uh, I know you were, you were working out De'Anthony Melton earlier in the day. I don't know if it's he's one of them, but is there somebody that you think is undervalued that we may be seeing more from here in the, the near future? Obviously, I'm biased with all my guys, so I think that there's a lot of guys that I could name. Um, Kelly Oubre is one of them that I think that uh, as he continues, you know, last year he doubled his points per game. He raised his three-point percentage by, I think, 7 or 8%. I think that he'll make another big jump. Um, I think that you got guys like Shimmy Olajay who started playoff games as a rookie who people kind of just say, oh, well, he was playing because, you know, Gordon Hayward was hurt or something like that. I think he's a guy that could continue to make steps and be a 3 and D specialist down the line. Um, I mean, there's so many guys that, that I work with that, um, you know, if they haven't found that right opportunity. And as you've seen in the NBA, opportunity is just as much as anything. You sure. know, if, if you're in the right team and the right fit and you can excel in the role that they're asking you to do, then ultimately you're going to succeed. Whereas there, there are some guys in the NBA that are really, really talented that have just been put in a box or not been given the opportunity that they need. And whether they lose confidence because of it or whether they try to fight the role that they're given, uh, they don't end up succeeding because of that. So I think I have a lot of guys, Our goal, my goal is to excel in the role that their team is asking while working towards the role that they want eventually. And I think that that's a fine line because right. you've got guys like Kelly who the Wizards are asking, hey, be a three and D guy, but he says, hey, I wanna be an all-star one day. What do you do? Well, what do you do is you master that three and D role and then throw in 10 to 15 to 20% of his workout in working towards that becoming an all-star so that eventually you can keep the team happy, the coach happy, and the player happy, which is a win-win for everybody. You recently tweeted out a video um, about Jason Tatum, and it was him mirroring moves uh, that Kobe Bryant was doing. How much film study did you two do together? And I know that's his, like, that's the guy he's idolized. It was cool. We actually showed Kobe it uh, yesterday, and he was like, why didn't the Lakers draft him, which was pretty <laughs> funny um, after seeing that. But um, Jason idolized Kobe. And so um, I remember the, the first week that we ever got together and started working out, the first workout, I just tried to kill him. I remember he was like literally about to pass out, and he's 13 years old, and he, you know, would come back on the court, and you saw him start getting sluggish, but he never gave up. And I never forget his mom, uh, Brandy, hit me up after the workout and uh, was like so cool in the car. I asked Jason like how the workout went and she said, you know, mom, they're going to have to carry me off the court before I gave up. And that's when I knew Jason had something special as far as that it factor goes. And then the second thing that I, I thought was special was after that first week of just trying to kill him to see if he had what it took mentally, the second week I said, all right, listen, we've got to get you really good at the jab step. I know you love Kobe, so we watched all of Kobe's jab steps. We identified the four major jab steps that he did, and we spent one week on the jab step without shooting a shot. This was when he was 13? 13 years old. And I was like, that's when I knew he was special because we spent, we were going 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. before his classes started, 
but he spent you know five days straight of so five hours without shooting a shot just working on the pace of the jab the rhythm of the jab the how to you know keep defenders off balance and um, I'll never forget then he was in a tournament uh, I think like a week or two after and Braxton Key uh, who was one of my guys that I was helping out when I was in Nashville at Belmont um, texted me and was like Jason's jab step was lethal man and Jason had beat him on the jab step twice in a row and um, and that's when I was like man this kid is really really going to be good and that's when I started hitting you up and like I got the number one player in the country right here uh, just because uh, when you combine the it factor of mentality with the ability to crave improvement like Jason did, and then you just have an ultimate talent that he was born with, um, when you combine that, that's like the secret sauce to being a special player. One thing I've always marveled with him is his footwork. How, how did you guys go about developing that? Is that just tape study and, and just repetition on the court? A hundred percent. I mean, Brad was like, Brad Beal was my guinea pig, where uh, Brad and I worked out for like four hours a day when he was in high school, because I didn't know anything else. That's how right. I, had to, I had to work for four hours to get to become a Division One player. And so Brad was doing that. When I look back, we probably wasted two hours on moves that he would never use in a game. Right. But I realized in the process of doing that, his feet were amazing. He had great pickups because he was always doing moves into pickups. And so what I did was, um, while Brad was a guinea pig, Jason was like the, all right, we already have the polished blueprint. This is exactly how we efficiently and effectively attack getting your feet good, getting your handles good, and this and this. And then the final step was the shooting, which is what we addressed in the pre-draft process and now you know he was top 10 in the league in three-point percentage that was the final piece to making him a star and um you know i think he's gonna be one of the best players in the nba for years to come i, I know you've always been jason's biggest fan did you think that 43 percent his rookie season was feasible i thought he was going to be in the 38 to 42 percent range um i was just so confident in him because he was just not missing in pre-draft right i mean he was shooting with i mean obviously i've worked with a lot of great shooters and a lot of special players and he was shooting the numbers, we chart everything in workouts, uh, but we were making 500 threes a day and he was shooting at an 85% clip standstill and uh, off the move like a 78% clip. And so I, I knew that he was gonna have game results. I didn't think he would shoot that well um, right off the jump. I mean, he started the season at like, you know, before he uh, dislocated his, his finger, he was at like 55%. I thought that was just through the roof numbers. Um, I mean, you know, I believe in, if I don't believe in a guy uh, and we don't have the same kind of um, idea of where he can get to, I don't work with him because eventually it's, there's going to be someone that's unhappy. And with Jason, we've always said like, hey, you're going to be special the day you step into the NBA. And a lot of people were shocked with the results, but we just weren't. What, what led to the most recent change in the pre-draft to his jump shot? What was, well, and then what was it? I guess walk me through it. Yeah, so the biggest thing that we did was we widened his base, which improved his balance, and then we lowered his shot pocket. So he used to shoot the ball up here over his head, which is hard because it was a flatter shot. We right. lowered his pocket so he could get more lift on his shot, which then improved the drop angle, which gave the ball more room for error. Um, and so those two things were the big things that we did um, to really get it consistent. Well, I wish I'd put him number one. <laughs> I told you. I've been telling you since 13. <laughs> What's the upside with Jason Tatum? How good do you think he can eventually be? I mean, he can chase MVPs, he can chase titles, he's that good. With one full year under Joel Embiid's belt, what are you working on with him now, maybe compared to what you did last summer? Yeah, so it was fun. I mean, obviously when I got Joel, he was really talented, obviously, but he still, he didn't have anything polished. And so what we did was we really focused in on his mid-post game early on. He's seen great results there. 
One thing that I didn't prepare him well enough for uh, was double teams and rotations and when teams threw different defensive schemes at him. And uh, I really blamed myself for a lot of the turnovers that he had because I didn't throw him in those situations enough. And so um, I learned from that. We've worked on a lot of passing um, and decision-making out of different situations. So we're literally throwing every kind of trap that you possibly can because you can't guard him one-on-one. Right. Um, we're also working on his three-point shot. This year we made some tweaks and adjustments because when he's making threes, he's unstoppable. And then we're really locking in on two other things, which is low post dominance. We haven't seen a low post dominant player since like Shaq, but we think he can be that guy. And so really using his bully ball mentality uh, to his advantage, he scored 46, had like 15 or 17 rebounds, seven assists and seven blocks. Some crazy stat line against the Lakers when he went bully ball mentality. And so we need to get to that more often. Um, and the final thing is just his ability to make plays out of the perimeter. A lot of times you would shot fake, take one dribble, pick it up, and either charge into guys, turn the ball over, or be off balance finishing. And so we're working on taking a second dribble so that he can make plays off the bounce. But um, I mean, there's literally nothing he can't do at seven foot two, 285 pounds. Um, I think that he'll contend, if not win, the MVP this season. Offensively, he's so it's it just seems so natural and he's so gifted. But if you had to pick one of those categories, or maybe it's a separate one that you think he's going to make the biggest jump in, and we'll see on the court next year, what what do you think it would be? I think it would be his overall perimeter game. I think that um, you know his perimeter game will will help a ton, where he can just pick and pop DHOs, all that, and just play more um, facing up. Um, I think that would be one that I would lock in on, um, or kind of in the same breath would just be simplifying what he does. I think too many times he goes to all the moves instead of just trying to beat him with simplicity. And so I think that those two go hand in hand because if he's got a guy that he can really dominate in an isolation situation, I think he'll do a better job of either facing up in the mid post or you know go down to the block and bully ball or take him out the perimeter and beat him off the bounce. I think that we're just gonna be able to identify where he can attack better. Mm -hmm. And I think he's gonna go to that and live at that in until they take it away instead of last year where it was more of all right, I'm going to try this out because I am so gifted. Right. Most importantly, what, what's your best Joel Embiid story? <laughs> Man, I've got so many. I've got so many Joel stories. But I mean, I think I think the actual cool one. A lot of people would go to the joking ones where you know he uh, he cheats in every game that he plays in because he's that he he just hates losing that much. But um, to be honest with you, it's the first time that I ever met him. He came up to me at summer league and was like. Hey, listen, I know who you are. I want to work with you. Um, and I said, great. I said, he said, I said, when do you want to start? He said, tomorrow. I said, well, I'm going back to L.A. tomorrow. And he said, perfect, I'll see you in L.A. And that just shows you how kind of committed he was. He obviously, um, you know, the fact that he was willing to kind of work out right away, um, I thought was really special. And uh, sure enough, he showed up the next day, was ready to work. And um, we've been working together ever since. Uh, another guy on that team that you've been working out is Markel Fultz. And, uh, I kind of saw his rise in high school because he wasn't this top tier guy throughout. Um, he, he kind of ended up a five star guy um, late, and honestly, he's one of the favorite guys I've ever covered. I think he's, uh, I think the the ceiling is through the roof, and he didn't have a rookie season that I think uh, was maybe expected of him. How how's it been working with him so far? He's been great. To be honest with you, before I started working with him, I knew he was really special. Um, during the pre-draft process, I loved him. I just had to. I was like, all right, I like Jason better, so he's number one, and I can't work with Markel because we were both contending for number one. Uh, but I told everybody in the draft, I said, you know, if I had a second guy behind Jason, it would it would be Markel. And um, when I got him in the gym for the first time, he's actually better than I thought he was, uh, just at basketball. Um, obviously, the thing that everybody has been asking me, I get like a hundred DMs a day, you know, release the Markel shot video and stuff like that. 
Um, and they don't realize that it's, we're not hiding him, we're not protecting him. What we're really doing is we're being very strategic, you know what I mean? And uh, people are going to see the results during the season, um, and that's all that matters. I, I think that too many times uh, people in my position um, would post stuff just to get the media attention and stuff like that. And, and instead, what we're doing is I'm saying, okay, no comment on everything. And at the end of the day, it's about Markel. Markel is working his butt off. He's putting in three a days. Um, and, and my answer when people ask me questions on how he's doing is, let Markel show you in the season. Don't ask me because it's not my shot. It's not me putting in the work. He's been working his butt off, and uh, I'm happy with our progress. What's the upside with him? You know, Star. I mean, I, I literally think that um, if he's back to 100%, I think he's immediately an all-star. Um, and I know that's a bold statement, but uh, I work with a lot of other all-stars, so I, I think I, I have the right to say that. What, what do you think the expectations should be for him, maybe from Sixers fans, for next year? I mean, Sixers fans, I get bombarded with DMs all the time. <laughs> their, their expectations are crazy, but uh, all I would say is that uh, when they get Markel 100% healthy, um, he's, he's going to be a really special player. Now, I know you just got in the gym with Gordon Hayward, I think, recently. W where is he at in his development? Obviously, he's coming back from a pretty grueling injury. Yeah, so uh, Gordon's back to 100% in workouts. Uh, he hasn't been able to start playing live yet. He will start playing in the next week or two. Uh, we're just being smart. We've got time. Um, and um, we're just working on his ability to create a shot and the ability to make plays. Um, you know, when he was an all-star two years ago, he came off a lot of actions. You know, it was a lot of dribble handoffs, a lot of ball screens, and everything was heavy going right. And so uh, we think that now with him thrown in the mix of, you know, with Jason and Kyrie and Jalen and all these other great players that the Celtics have, uh, we think he's going to have to have the ability to not only rely on just getting play calls, but also just score within the flow of the offense. So we're really working on that, working on improving his footwork and sh his shiftiness, and then uh, really his ability to knock down shots because we think that, um, you know, teams are going to have to switch one through four, and when he has those mismatches, he's going to have to be able to be able to get a bucket for himself. Is it weird for you working out with Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum? No, I mean, everyone <laughs> says that, but I, I just look at them as both really special players. You know, I mean, if they were competing for, if one guy was a starter and one guy was a backup, it would definitely be, uh, you know, a, a bad situation. But since they're both going to be starters, since they're both really good players, right. and, and maybe I think that uh, that's one thing that I don't have to worry about. No doubt. Uh, one of the other guys you spent quite a, a bit of time with is R.J. Barrett. I think you've been working out with him since he was 14 years old. Uh, we ranked him number one heading into uh, the college season this year going to Duke. What's your expectations for, for him? Well, I'm glad you finally ranked one of my guys number one where they belong, okay? No, but um, I think he's the best player in college basketball. Um, I've worked with a lot of the other really special players um, and not to take anything away from them, but uh, RJ just has uh, pro-like mentality. His dad has done such a good job of kind of raising him and surrounding him around a lot of uh, whether it was NBA players or just other professional athletes and uh, he handles himself like a pro. He's one of those guys that very similar to Jason, he was raised to kind of be a NBA basketball right. player and so he comes in the gym and does a 30 minute kind of stretching routine before he gets on the court, then does form shooting, then gets his routine in and, and then is ready to go, you know, 100% from, from step one. Um, you know, obviously each year we try to add some certain things, elements to his game. Um, we think he's really, really good in transition. Um, he's, he's really good, you know, off pick and rolls. I think that you'll see Duke use him as a primary handler at times and be really good because he's such a good playmaker. Um, and then we've locked in on a shot this year. You know, he did, um, we did a, a long period of training and, um, you know, we worked on his shot mechanics. And I think that if he can show the ability to knock down shots like he has been uh, in his training sessions at Duke, then he's going to be unstoppable. But 
Um, like I said, he's super special. And the funny thing is we're talking about his skills right. and his, his best kind of thing about him is he's just one of the most competitive guys that I've ever worked with. So, um, you know, he was out here, he competed against a lot of NBA guys. He beat some of them in one-on-one. -on -one. He uh, won some, one of the five-on-five -five games, ended the game by dunking on another really, really good player that I don't want to throw under the bus. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's crazy. You see a high school kid dunk on an NBA guy for game point, that just doesn't happen often. So uh, I think Duke fans should be really excited. I think with him, the jumper was kind of the, the next step. You know, he has, he, you know, he actually handles the ball really well for his size. I think he's fine athletically, he can guard multiple spots. Do you see that jump shot taking a, a step from when I saw him as a senior in high school to freshman in college? For sure, we've changed a lot of the mechanics. We just basically took out, he had a pause in his shot where he kind of loaded the ball. And uh, the weird thing is, we didn't get to see each other too much because whether he was competing for Canada or whether he was uh, down at Mount Verde or wherever he was um, for the last couple of years, we would do like a weekend here, a weekend there, so-and-so. So, you know, the first year we kind of moved his pocket over the side, but it kind of left it at that. We didn't perfect right. it. The next year we kind of raised it and we left it at that. And so this year was the first year that we actually got to kind of lock in on mechanics. Um, obviously there's always a wiggle period where, you know, a trial and error period when you're, you're implementing a new shot in games, you have to, uh, worry about side steps and you have to worry about pullbacks and you have to worry about you know closeouts and all that kind of stuff but um, I think you'll see a lot better jump shot and I think that um, you know whether it's this year at Duke or whether it's his first year in the NBA I think that he'll get the same kind of results that Jason did where you'll see a big growth um, in his shooting numbers. Drew I appreciate you uh, taking the time out and jumping on the podcast. Awesome thanks for having me on. Of course.